On this episode of Ragcast Outdoors, we have episode number two with Tom Snyder from Stuck in the Rut TV from Idaho. As you'll recall, Tom came on the show this past week to talk about wolf hunting and how he's managed to become what I would consider a master wolf hunter. On this episode, he gets a little bit more in-depth into the wolf hunting aspects and the wolf management, so I hope you'll sit back and enjoy this episode of Ragcast Outdoors. Fish on! Hey, Radcast is on! And welcome to the show, Mr. Jim Zumbo. Gentlemen, I am pleased to be here, and I use that term loosely when I say gentlemen. (laughs) (laughs) Al Winder. Just want to welcome you to the show. Thanks for uh, taking time out of your busy schedule to hang out with us on a podcast for a little bit. Hey, I'm looking forward to it. There's nothing makes me happier than a cold in Minnesota. If I can't be out fishing, I should be talking about fishing. (laughs) (laughs) Hailing from Wisconsin, Jana Waller. Thanks so much for having me. It's Redcast. Hunting, fishing, and everything in between. Powered by Bow Spider. Brought to you by PK Lures and High Mountain Seasonings. And now, here's your hosts, Patrick Edwards and David Merrill. I actually, it was funny, I had the, a conversation with a guy getting into wolf hunting. He's, what's your favorite time of the year to kill him? Is it February? Is it December? I'm like, April or August. He's, What? Like, I love August. Yeah, that was back before Idaho did full year-round season. So the reason why that is, is, and this is something I've realized, and you're going to hear this differently from people. Some people say they're vocal in the spring. I've noticed the opposite, where I feel like they're very protective of their den, and they're not, like, they don't like to give their location as much But when they have a den, right? And so I've tried really hard in the spring. I've I've, as I try to learn how to hunt wolves, I always utilize, I've tried hunting throughout the year, trying to figure out what's the best time of year to kill them. What's the hardest time to kill them. Springtime, I'm still second guessing it. I've had some friends of mine though, who have found those den sites where they actually find that they're consistent with those den sites. So if they den there, good chance they're going to den that same spot next year. So if you know of a potential den site, go there the following year and most likely you're going to catch them. And it could be every other year. Sometimes if they've, like maybe you give them a bad experience, right? You shoot them in there. They may be three or four years, but they'll, it's so crazy. It never hurts that I'm the type of person. I'll keep rechecking those areas. And then all of a sudden, boom, they're back in there again. They can't help themselves. <laughs> they just, if there's something about that area, they just can't help themselves. I've been used, utilizing those rendezvous points for those areas where they just, you know, they'll travel out of country, but there's these areas that they just really love to hang out in and spend most of their time in. And you're going to get that more, like I said, in the summer and early fall months than you are in those November, December months when they're just, all those adolescents are now full grown and they're traveling with the pack. They're spreading out. They're hitting all these wintering ranges. They don't have those other food sources like gophers and smaller game as they used to. And so they start hitting the big game much harder. So they have to travel more, it seems. But the one thing I've noticed too and, I've, and again, I've confirmed this with other coyotes. You're talking about coyotes. Yeah, coyotes are very similar to this, where they'll den up in a spot where the coyote, where the pups can feed themselves. There's times where they have to drag meat in. They'll have to drag meat into the den site. And, you'll, and what's obvious, the obvious thing to see is, okay, what's an obvious den site? We've all watched this, the movie Lion King. And it's... I'm not trying to exaggerate here, but there's that scene where the lions 
run the little Ryan's run in the hyenas territory and there's all those bones everywhere. If you're in a spot like that where it's just what in the world is going on here, just looks like something just it's just a boneyard. That's a dense site. They're dragging chunks of meat and a lot of trappers will tell you that too, because they're noticing that the trappers they'll have their bait piles in Idaho, because we can bait in Idaho for trapping. In the spring they start dragging meat to the den site. They'll just notice and just taking chunks out and taking them off. And that starts happening. But going back to it, when they start getting old enough, if they have a spot where there's a lot of gophers and stuff, those, the adults no longer have to feed the pups anymore. They're gophering like a coyote. And I've watched them do it. I've watched them. I'd sit up on ridgetops and look in these meadows. And I've watched these young wolves just sit there gophering all day long. I've killed them and they're just like, when I've killed some of these wolves, they're just, their mouth is just full of dirt just from gophering all day. And so they really utilize those summering grounds and uh, yeah, it saves, the, saves a lot of work on the adults just because they're like, we don't have to feed them, they'll feed themselves. <laughs> and, uh, and it's just, it's funny because from a distance, if you have a chance to glass them, you'll see them just, pups are like a teenager. They're always moving around and stuff, but the adults are like, ah, I'm too tired to move right now. I don't have to move, so why move? And But the more you learn about wolves, the more and more you learn, we're hunting a dog. They're a dog. And I'm cool killing dogs, but <laughs> I don't know if everybody else is. When, when they, you see they, what those dogs do to domestic livestock, pets, other actual domesticated dogs and, and ungulates, yeah. it's it's not as hard. What is one thing, what, what's the equipment, how does the equipment differ mainly, I guess, would be regards to scent than what you would use deer elk hunting? So one of the best things, so that's a very good question, by the way. Another thing I learned with wolf hunting is when you're elk hunting, you're kill, you're going after one bull, right? You're not sitting there with a pocket full of, wolf, of bull, elk tags. Wolves, you got multiple tags and you're trying to utilize that time, right? You're not out to kill all the elk, but when I have a wolf, when I call it a wolf pack, I'm trying to kill every single wolf as I can possible. The, the other challenge I started facing is I was doing great with calling in wolves, right? Like we were calling them in, but the biggest challenge I was having is we'd call in a wolf pack, we'd kill one, and then they'd scatter. And maybe you'd have a chance to call them in one more time or maybe two more times before they're wised up and you, there's no longer, calls are no mo- longer effective. And now you have to leave it to the trappers. So I was like, how do I utilize that time when they come in? People think that an AR is the right tool, right? You hear it everywhere. There's a lot of wolf experts on Facebook and Instagram. <laughs> and I'm saying that sarcastically. All you need is if I just have my AR, I want to just blaze them off. You don't just aimlessly shoot wolves. You know what I mean? The last thing you want to do is, is scare them off. The most important thing I've learned with wolf hunting is you want to make every shot count. You're not here to fling a bunch of lead and have a bunch of missed wolves. Your goal is to make every shot count. But what led, what led me to this idea was going back to when I had a bow. I was like, my chance of killing wolves were better with a bow because it was quiet. They're already an apex predator. They're not always in the alert. They're not always in, like a coyote knows it's not on top of the food chain. A wolf is. I can't tell you how many times a wolf will just come running in at me. And if I don't shoot, I'll just stand there. Cause it's just, what are you? And it, and the first, and it never looks alarmed. Like a wolf, like if I'm in the back country and I see wolves that have never dealt with people, an elk will still run. A mule deer will still run. 
maybe not as much because they don't have a lot of hunting pressure, but they're still going to run. They're still like, they're, they're no, they're not on the top of the food chain. A wolf that has never been hunted before, they almost act dumb. They almost give the impression that they're dumb sometimes. But as soon as you wise them up, then you'll never have another chance on them again. So what I did is like we, our whole family decided to get pro, uh, suppressors. And that was one of the best decisions I ever made. As soon as I got my suppressor, I'm like, I, that following week, I went out wolf hunting. And it took me two days. I found a wolf pack. I called them in and I stacked four right on top of each other. And that one, you'll have to watch the video of that. It's point blank, really close. I keep on saying the term between 10 to 15 years. It was back at that same range. I've called them wolves really close a lot. And that, that's, but people are like, what's your, what's the average range that you kill wolves? I say it's under 20 yards. <laughs> I've called them a lot of wolves really close. And so, but yeah, so I stacked those four wolves on top of each other and they just didn't know what was going on. I shot one. And they were not looking at me where the gunshot was coming from. They were looking at each other. A suppressor still makes a sound, but it just wasn't enough to spook them off. And some of my friends down south of me have stacked six on top of each other with the suppressor. Suppressor is a night and day difference versus without one. I feel like I said, I feel like without a suppressor, you shoot once and they scatter every single time. And sometimes you can get them howling again. You can sneak in and get another shot, but I just feel like that's the best way to do it. So for equipment, Honestly, I still run a bolt action and I just run a suppressor and just, I just make every shot count. What caliber? I got two different calibers. I have a 300 short mag and it's built a little more tactical. It, it has that foldable XLR element stock. And so you could just fit it in your backpack if I need to go a long ways. And then I also have a seven Sean built by Gunworks that, and it's just a very, it's a, it's not a foldable stock, just a regular rifle stock but it's super light without the suppressor and the scope and everything i think it's seven pounds maybe like it's it is it feels like a toy gun but it's accurate up to a thousand yards like i can ding plates at a thousand all day long i take it on deer elk no a wolf absolutely have i i always take that gun thinking i'm going to have an opportunity long range do i no they're always cut close (laughs) so but yeah those are the two calibers that i like to run do you do anything for scent? Anything different? Just keep my wind in the favor. So when it comes to camping, you have to be really careful. Wolves are very aware of their surroundings more than any animal. We're talking about our sixth sense. I get that a lot with wolves, by the way. If I'm close to a wolf pack, I still feel, I get that feeling like, oh, shoot, I'm, we're close. I know it. I just feel it. It's weird. But wolves have a sense, too. If you camp in an area somewhat within their territory, they'll find you. They'll know you're there and they'll do it. They'll investigate you at night. They'll investigate your campsite. They'll mess around with your campsite and then they'll leave the country if they deem you as a threat in some way. So with scent, I try to not camp in the area that I'm hunting wolves. I try to stay as far away from there as I can. Like I said, I'm not afraid to hike, but I try to keep my scent out of there. In areas where I have to spend three or four days hunting a particular wolf pack, I have to sometimes give them a break. If let's say I go in, I'm dealing with a wolf pack and it's one of those rendezvous points and I, let's say I spook them off. I just, I like back out. Like I, I start reading the situation. I'm like, okay, I'm just making things worse. Back out, give it a couple of days and chill in there again, go back in there and check. Sometimes they're not back for maybe a week. And then after a week later, then they show back up and then they're back fine again in there. And then you have another chance on them. So 
leaving scent behind, I, I'm really careful with that more with wolves than any other predator. We talk road systems, trail systems. Don't take a dump close to the trail. Just stuff like that. Although what's really weird, though, is he seems to not bother them. If anything, they deem it as a territorial thing. So you can pee on a log, and that wolf will come and pee on that, too. And and I've learned that with whitetail hunters, too. And it just doesn't make it still doesn't make sense to me, but pee is pee. That's what they keep telling me. And I've even had friends that are trappers that have trapped wolves with their own pee. They're like, oh, it's here. I don't have any scent with me, so I'll just pee on this on the same tree and then set a foothold and he'll hook the wolf. I'm like, it just seems weird to me, but it, I've, it, they've done it to me too. I've peed in the spot, come back and they right where I peed just to mark their territory. <laughs> They're very interesting animals. I tell you what. They, they really are. And I've really enjoyed just learning a little more. Cause I've, we can watch my sheep film. We got into wolf encounter and he wised up and got out of there. Never got the wind, never got anything. I just quit howling at him. And he laid down, oh, probably higher elevation than us and just watching the bottom valley for this other wolf that was howling. He was a mile away. We howled. He turned around and came about 600 yards back. So there was about 600 yards difference, distance between us. And I finally, I didn't want to shoot that far. So I'm like, I can creep up this next bluff bench, hop over it. I'll be sub 300. While I'm hiking up there, nobody was howling at this wolf. And we've been howling at about one to two minute intervals. It took me 10, 15 minutes to hike up there. About seven, eight minutes into the stock, he just, he turned and left and he went up and over the cliffs and left. He just, he decided this ain't right. I'm gone. So they are incredibly smart. And I'm, I've heard wolves howl mostly at night, living in Alaska there. I tried trapping them between Tustamina and Skilak Lake and they had about a 10 day to 14 day cycle. So I had snares and traps everywhere. Uh, one one thing I will mention is beaver dams and beaver ponds are a huge attractant to wolf packs. Uh, those merge points, they would always hit that beaver dam, beaver pond. I put a couple traps on it, and they still too much scent, and they figured out where they're at. So the learning curve on this is it's not <laughs> somebody like you mentioned in the beginning. Oh, I'm just gonna go out with a wolf howler and call these in, and it's easy. And yeah, you'll you'll learn that the hunted wolves are a whole different level of of difficulty. It is. Well, this year, so you're talking about Alaska. So this year I did a, I, so my brother-in-law and sister live in Alaska. So I have, I don't need to um, get a guide. I could just curse the kin. So I killed a pretty big brown bear on the coast. So the day before uh, there was a big brown bear, but you know, we flew in that day so we couldn't pursue it. There's a, like a stream with a bunch of salmon running it. And so I'm like, okay, we're going to have to wait for the day. There was a wolf pack fishing too. And they climbed out of the bottom and they climbed up on this rock bluff. It was the most painful thing for me to ever watch because you can't, yeah, you can't hunt first day or same day airborne. I had to wash this pack, big white male with a big gray female and a, and a bunch of members of the pack. Yeah. What was it? Seven or eight. I'd have to look at the video again. And that big male just laid there and he just stared at us. And then he finally fell asleep. The whole pack fell asleep. I'm just like, gosh, like I could easily sneak up 400 yards and just start popping them off. And in my brain, as I was looking through the spotter, I'm like, I was like, what would I do? I'd shoot the, I'd shoot the alpha first, shoot the female and just start <laughs> dumping the red. And they, I just started replaying this scenario in my head and my head every time. And, and my brother-in-law, Adam, who, who's the pilot and uh, he, 
he landed. Yeah, that's his plane right there. And he's, so what do you think those wolves are going to do, Tom? I was like, they're going to investigate our camp tonight, 100%. As soon as the sun goes over and we sleep, they're going to investigate our camp and they're leaving the canyon. I'm like, that's what I'm so worried about. I'm like, they're not going to be here tomorrow. I hope they are. I hope I'm wrong. But I'm like, but worst case scenario, we pursue that big brown bear and wake up in the morning, just a couple of steps from camp, wolf packs circled our tents, they left in the dark. I was like, yeah, that's what I expected. <laughs> they investigated us and they left. And so we ended up, I went in there and I ended up killing that big brown bear and he was nine foot eight, the big old boar. So, so was that on uh, film so too? Yeah, it was a great film. I haven't posted on YouTube just yet. Um, currently editing videos right now, um, but it's a good it's a good film. So, what got you into the filming piece of all this? So, I think this was back. It was pretty much right at about the brink when we were getting out of high school, and I we watched a lot of hunting videos and watched Jim Shockey. He was kind of a um, legend to my brother and I. That was the type of hunting we always wanted to try. That's kind of what got us in hunting Alaska in the first place. Was watching Jim Shockey adventures. But the one thing I would see on the on television, this was obviously before any other platforms out there. I wasn't impressed with what you what the professional hunter was. Like at that time, a professional hunter, what I was seeing on television were people that were doing ranch hunts. They were guys that were out of shape. And it, it was a money game and these guys were buying them spots on television and I'm like, this just doesn't seem like hunting to me. And so we started doing research and we're like, we need to show people what real hunting's about. That's kind of where we first, that's where our wheels started to turn. And again, I'm not dissing any hunters in the industry. Like I think everybody's out to try to make a living in it. And if you have the money to do a ranch hunt, go for it. I don't care. I just feel okay. Like people need, I can't relate to that though. I want to see something that's real authentic guys that actually work hard to kill something. And so that's kind of where we started with the filming, but we, we did a little, that's kind of how we got involved with Gunworks originally too. Kind of the same time Gunworks started, we started as well. And they gave us a bunch of advice and they're like, don't, and they gave us some advice on filming and they were like really good mentors from the get go. And so I was able to, we were able to film a lot of hunts. We filmed a lot of stuff that first year, just kind of locally where we live. And they aired it on the Sportsman channel. And it was kind of my idea to do the When YouTube first came out, everybody else was against it because when you get a really good video, people are like, I don't want to give that out for free. I want to sell this DVD. You know what I mean? And I'm like, for me, I kind of looked at a different perspective of, you know, I, we just first need to get our name out there. And no one else is doing YouTube. So we started doing YouTube and, and it actually took off pretty dang. I still have a lot to learn. But I have some really good mentors that I still talk to and that help me out. And so, but right now we're half, we're at the, I think it's 220,000 subscribers on our YouTube channel and um, a little over 80 million, I think a little over 80 million views total combined. So, yeah, I think we're like, we have a, we, yeah, we've built a pretty good platform on the YouTube channel and that's kind of where we stuck with. And what but is that channel? Think, huh? What is that channel? It's stuck in the rut with an answer stuck. And so, yeah, it's been a fun journey. And we hunt with friends and stuff too, but we, it's kind of turned out to just be like a family channel where there's four members of, of our siblings. My wife doesn't hunt. 
But so my brother-in-law, we married my sister, and he hunts, and he, like I said, he owns a plane, so that makes things nice. And so, so we have a lot of adventures in Alaska and Idaho. I started hunting Alaska before Adam officially moved to Alaska, so I've had quite a bit of experience hunting caribou moose. But as soon as Adam moved up to Alaska officially and became a resident along with my sister, then it's just it's fun. We really enjoy being out there and having those adventures. But also, like Idaho's always home. If I had the choice, I'd probably move to Alaska. But I don't think I can get my wife to budge. She's no, she's this is about as far north as I can get her. <laughs> I was going to ask you what's because I know YouTube channels, especially hunting ones, tend to get attacked by people. So, like, how do you deal with that kind of stuff where you get the people that just walk on there to make their negative comments and just be trolls? Like, how do you deal with those folks? At first, it was really hard because I feel like I didn't realize how cruel the world was and didn't realize the like when my work first wolf ever if you look at my the first videos of that we did i we filmed my first wolf i ever killed the first one did back in 2011 and it's very sketchy but you know it's very like shaky video because we were just starting but it actually that kind of really helped us get a good foundation because it was so new wolf hunting was so new and but the death threats I got was just unreal. And I just didn't know. I tried to respond to them and I just wasn't getting logical answers. But forward 10 years later, I, those people I just can't take seriously. And if there's a day where I'm like sick and I can't do anything outside, let's say I'm, yeah, I can't go to work. I'm sick. I can't work or hunt. And so I'm sitting here with a massive fever and I just need to break it. I'll get bored and start messaging them. But for example, yesterday, I kind of went through comments and I'm just like, I don't have time. I don't have time for them. Yeah, they can save all they want. I think what really hurts the most, though, is not these people that are negligent, like these anti-hunters. But what hurts the most are actually hunters that bash us. I think that actually kind of hurts more um, because when this like, we're on the same team here, bud. What are we doing? Why are you trying to divide us? Like, we need to be on the same team. Like, and some of them, they just misjudge a video, right? Where they're just like, oh, I bet, you know, the, did this and that. And so, you know, it's because I don't show that I hiked eight miles, they think I killed it closer roads. Like, I literally hiked eight to 15 miles for that particular animal, depending on the hunt, right? But like I worked really hard, but sometimes, like, okay, I didn't have time to film my entire hike because I was so focused on killing. So the hunt actually made it look easier, right? Or people had a hard concept at first because we started deboning our animals back in 2011, 2012, and that was still a new concept for people. So everybody thought we were leaving the game. They're like, you just packed a rack out? Oh, I'm going to call the fishing game on you. And they're like, dude, the meat's in our bag. Back with the Everly Stomp, that was like our first packs ever that had the concept of, of throwing meat in there. And those were pretty fun. They're good bags. And that's, but yeah, it was such a new concept for people. Deboning an animal. Hey, guess what? You don't have to pack the guts. You don't have to pack the bones. Isn't that something? What do you do with that? Anyway? The hide? You're not mounting it? Why pack the hide? So that's, now a lot of people are doing it. But back then, it was such a new concept for people. Yeah. Do you ever get any comments like that on your social media? Because you do a lot of fishing, right? Yeah, it happens all the time in fishing. You're like, you didn't hold the fish. You must have done this. You must have done this. Dude, you're a fellow angler. Why are you being such a jerk about it? But people do it. And I think it's, I think a lot of that on the hunting and fishing side is just people being jealous that you had a good catch or you had a good kill. Instead of being jealous, just be like, good job. Or 
But if you want to make comments, you can private message people and just say, hey, man, next time, maybe think about this, but don't be a jerk about it publicly like that. And they, it happens, but it is what it is. I've gotten over it now. I'm just like, somebody didn't eat their breakfast and they're cranky. Uh, whatever. Or, yeah, that's true. But we just don't know what people are going through. I've, there's a very few times where I've actually had to call the people. Like I, I told them, like, we need to talk. Like, you're obviously out of hand here and we did call. And it's usually some where people do like, I don't like when people are like, Oh, I'm going to call a fishing game. Last thing I want to do is talk to the fishing game and, and explain a video on YouTube. And I'm just like, and it's, there's no reason for that. We didn't do anything wrong. We followed the law. And so I'll call them and just say, what's your problem? And I've only done it to a couple of people. A lot of it was like, not even about that, but it was more of hate. So my brother-in-law, Adam, again, I'm getting way off topic, but I'll just shorten it. But my brother-in-law, Adam, shot a sheep in southern Idaho, drew a sheep tag, killed a giant ram, giant ram. Little did we know that someone else was pursuing that same ram. It's public land. We're not out to try to shoot an animal from another person. That person supposedly, okay, I'm, okay, I won't get into too much detail where they, who they are, but anyways, they sent a, we got slammed on Instagram by, like, all their minions just got on and just, I heard the story, what really happened with that sheep. And that was when I was like, we, okay, we need to start putting out some fires here because this is getting stupid. So, and I was like, so finally I started calling. I started working up the, because I didn't have that last phone number, but I started working up the ladder and making phone calls and trying to, just like, and the first thing I asked was like, what did we do wrong? And they couldn't really answer that. What did we do wrong? Oh, you shot it. I had this. You shot that ram in front of 27-year-old kid. First of all, 27-year-old, last I known, a 27-year-old is not a kid. Second of all, it's public land. Third of all, I didn't know he was after the ram. So what do you expect us to do? I guess now you bring it like that. Yeah, it just sucks for him or it sucks for everybody. I'm like, this sucks for us, but, you know. So anyway, so like I said, that was completely off topic, but that's another prime example. Where I was just like, I'm like, that's a fire. That's, it's unnecessary. That was completely unnecessary. You know what I mean? Yeah. Well, I give you kudos, you know, sticking with it. Because sometimes people are just like, oh, I'm just not going to post anymore. And they stop because they just, but it's inevitable. It doesn't matter if you do it perfectly, if you have everything right. There's always going to be the people that just don't like what you're doing for one reason or another. So I just want to commend you on that. Because I've watched several of your videos over the last few years. And if you're an anti-hunter, you're not going to like them. Yeah. But you tell people right up front, you're not going to like this. <laughs> if you can't handle it, you don't watch it. But the nice thing is those of us who appreciate that enjoy that kind of thing. And we get to celebrate. That's, thank you. And that's what I have to remind myself is there's a lot of people with us. Ignore those. Focus on the people who really are sincere and people that really like your content. And those are the people that we need to focus on. I'll be honest. I've actually have made better friends in the hunting industry doing this. So although it seems like have we lost friends and stuff? Sure. I still, there's friends that I'm still, I'm somewhat friends with, but they, they're just kind of against the idea of doing films and stuff just because it promotes hunting. Right. And they're kind of secretive type people. And I respect that hundred percent. I see their perspective, but what I've learned though, is I've made so much friends. So I've learned, I've made so many friends in the hunting industry. And um, another thing is just simply like actually being a, being together as a community and being strung together as a community, we actually get stuff done. That's what happened to Idaho. That's why we're allowed to manage wolves. 
because we got together and said, let's manage this. And that started that foundation for wildlife management. And that actually started some pretty close to where I live. And that foundation right there has done more for wolf management than anything else you can think of. And so been really appreciative about that. But that's proof that when outdoorsmen get together, you can get stuff done. And one of the things to, to highlight is the wolf population is stable yet increasing. Even with all the harvest, all the red tape that had to go through to get hunting legalized, it's that is Patrick's really good at saying the wolves are here now. We we can cry that they were released. We can say that it was wrong and they shouldn't have been, but they're here now. Thankfully in, in our home state, your state, a couple other states, there's a a scientific based management plan being enacted instead of just somebody's emotion ruling the day. Yeah. And I wish I'd, I wish, and it's nothing against, there's a lot of wildlife biologists and fishing game that are on our side, but there's a lot of these activists, like people think it's always the fishing games fall and stuff or things are happening. Their hands are tied with these activists. I was actually with a, a conversation with one of the fishing game in, in Montana. Cause I really, right now, I think I was telling you like, it's so competitive where I'm at. I want to start hunting Montana a little bit more. And Montana's not too far away. It's about 15, 15 minute drive from my house to get to Montana. Um, but I'm completely, I go from, it's so funny as I go from Idaho where it's just, there's so much hunt pressure. I go to Montana and the packs are as big as they've ever been. It's just, oh man, yeah, Montana needs some help. But what's funny is these activists keep showing like, what if, if we have a year round season, they're going to run out of wolves. Look at Idaho. Can you just look on the other side of the border and just say, oh, look, Idaho has an open season on wolves. Are the wolves gone? No, they're not. They're still, like you said, they're still here. They're still reproducing. The one thing I will say that's helped is that I've been able to keep wolves out of my elk woods and so have the trappers. And so I can't manage all the wolves, but in some of those drainages where I've always, that always stayed dear to me, there is a rebound coming and I am so happy about that so just fy to people there's hope that i think a lot of people have lost hope for that and just let you know there is hope like i'm seeing it there's a there's one area i was hunting this year a lot of young bulls a lot of young bulls and i was just like man like i had more bugling probably this year and i've had in a really long time who's to thank here and so i i saw this activist the other day it drove me nuts she posted this post and like Idaho and Montana elk hunting, like there's an increase in the harvest. So I don't know. And she's talking about Colorado wolves and how wolves benefit the ecosystems. Do you know that there's been a season on wolves now for over a decade? Why did you completely ignore talking about Oregon and Washington? How are those elk doing? They're yeah. not doing well. She didn't show her those. She's only talking about the states. Oh, look, the wolves are coexisting. So we've talked about no, this before we're, we're in the podcast. <laughs> yeah, we've talked about it before in the podcast where you can... Uh, yeah, I'm sure you have. Like I said, I, I can go on and on. I try to not rant too much, by the way, but but FYI, there is hope. <laughs> there is hope. There, we're seeing a rebound going on, but so still you, a lot of work to do. Have you seen that uh, video called How Yellow how Wolves Change the Rivers in Yellowstone? Stop. No. So, yes, I have. I, I want to yes, just I, highlight I, that anybody, because every time I read a thread, somebody brings that up and somebody misquotes it. It's called a tropic cascade, right? The, and the, the theory might be sound in science, but that, that video is, is 100% incorrect. 
and the wolves didn't change the rivers and move. It just, it's sickening when you watch the video, how it masquerades as science and something that's good. And when you get to the end of it and you actually talk to a biologist and you dig into it, it's quote unquote fake news. It's garbage. So anybody that's quoting that, look up what a tropic cascade is, go do some research and you'll find out pretty quickly that no wolves are not the the missing piece to the ecosystem and they're going to restore the perfect balance of the lion king and then us humans can just walk away yeah and patrick you said it earlier how are how are the moose doing in yellowstone yeah i'll tell you what moose populations have suffered so bad in this state and it's 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 sad man like there's not a balance there's supposed to be a balance (laughs) there's not a balance and it just breaks my heart man because i love them i think moose are super cool and you just don't see them hardly anymore. And it's just the reality. And I was talking about this on our podcast about the Colorado thing. Like Colorado has a ton of moose. It's about to change. People are oh. going to realize pretty quick, those moose are going to be the first ones that are gone. Yeah. So we were, we hunted this year. My, uh, so I don't want to promote this, but I was like, gosh, beans are going to release wolves this year. Let's burn our elk points. So my brother and I burnt our elk points in Colorado this year. What a cool like what a cool ecosystem it actually reminded me of my childhood a little bit i'll be honest in saying the quality of elk wasn't there just because there's a lot of hunting pressure in that area but there's a lot of elk we're vehicles every day the moose tons of moose we actually couldn't help ourselves we're supposed to hunt elk and we're sitting there we're like there's a big bull moose let's call it in well we're start raking get a big bull moose worked up we were having a blast i'm just like we are filming it and I'm like, and I'll get that posted to in the near future. I'm just kind of working on those videos, but I'm like, this is going to be sad. But what I've been telling everybody, everybody asked, what should we do as Colorado residents? I'm like, document it. Our mistake was we didn't have the iPhone and stuff when it first started happening. Like when the real damage starts, when every, by the time everybody started recording it, it was already too late. The damage was done. And people were like, they try to blame other things. They didn't have the actual proof. And the unfortunate truth was, and again, I, we have great leaders, like great, like I, I do actually like our fishing game right now. I like our leadership, but the one lady I was talking to, and again, I'm not going to give any names. And I was asking her, I like to attend those meetings. Like when the, they have those public meetings and I asked them, I was like, when's the last time you did a study here on our wildlife? She's besides the grizzly bear. She said 18 years. That was what she told me. And I was like, I think we're missing. And and she was kind of going based on studies two units away, which that's a long ways away. And I'm like, we need to, I think you need to reconsider doing some studies. And a few of us got together and we're talking to them. And it's good. I'm glad to see that I'm in the mountains and I'm seeing elk with fish and game collars. I'm like, that's what I like to see. Shows me they care. I'm tired of looking at grizzlies with collars. I'm like, I could, we have enough of those. I'm tired of looking at those. And let's actually see some deer and elk with fishing game collars for once. And they spend plenty of time with the grizzlies and spending our taxpayer dollars on those. Let's study things that are actually going to make a difference. But, um, yeah, I think that what's going to be a game changer, though, is if we can just delist the, We don't even have to hunt the grizzly, but if we can just delist the grizzly, that's going to expand so many options in hunting and trapping wolves for us. It really is. That's a big hurdle right now. And on top of that, they we got the links that messes with us too. So that's 
that's a little bit of an issue. So. I'm glad there's some issues out there and keep promoting conservation and being part of the solution, right? To be part of the solution, you got to be putting your sportsman dollars into ungulate management, but there also has to be predator management to balance it out because without it, it doesn't really matter, right? Yeah. And the one thing I want to mention too to people is let's never, ever promote breaking a lot. I get people, I've been getting a big wave of people because we post about Colorado and what's happening there. You said you did a podcast on it, so we won't even talk about it, but a lot of people are coming on. We need to kill the wolves. We need, you don't realize that's just going to make things worse. Let's, as bad as it sounds, we're going to have to let things happen. We need to be responsible. That's not going to, that's not going to be how we get our way. Like, I hear people, Stone Idaho, shoot, shovel, shut up. Dude, we can hunt wolves here. We don't have to break the law. <laughs> you know what I mean? The, the biggest changes are not there, but we need to get involved. Same thing with Oregon. Same thing, like, I, I've, there's good, nothing against the hunters, but, you know, I spent some time doing some shed hunting in Oregon, and I got some backlash over that. I posted a couple sheds I found, and some people got upset over it, and told me to go back where I came from. I'm like, you guys, we need unity here, like, you guys are in this small little crowd and you're, you guys are losing your battle with wolves. You can't manage your wolves. We need to band together to make a difference. And that's kind of the, what's most important. Starting off F4WM, what are some other foundations you guys like that you feel like are really beneficial to predator management? So there's a bear one out there that's starting up in, I think he started in Idaho. And I, I don't have their acronym. The one of those that's not really predator management, but Elk Foundation is one that I really enjoy because they conserve habitat, which in turn conserves everything. And I agree and with you. They've actually helped, and they've actually have helped with F4WM too. Foundation, yeah, the Elk Foundation has so. Whether a birder, right, and a birder with a camera that likes to take pictures of a bird, or you own a shotgun, or you have a shotgun and a rifle, and a fly rod, or a spinning rod, and you use bait and flies and worms, I don't really care how you want to recreate outdoors. If you like to just go hiking along a stream and throw rocks, we need to come together with the guy that's there to set traps, and with the guy that's there to catch and release salmon, and the guy that's there to catch and keep salmon, and the guy that's there to kill the elk. We need to come together and realize that... There's very few places on this globe that we have the public land resource that we do have. And we need to keep it to where all user groups get equal access. This denying or banning one group or favoring one group over the other is not the way forward. Absolutely. And that's just so important. Like, I, I can't emphasize that enough. And that's, I feel like Idaho is doing actually very well with unifying outdoorsmen. I and. I think Montana's doing better. Like I, I'm not dissing any state because Montana I consider as a second home for me because, like I said, 15 minutes from my house. My dad actually did most of his logging in his early, like before I was born, in Montana. He lived in the Montana side there, and so a lot of that country, I put a lot of tracks on the ground. As a we go back in time, when I was a kid in high school, I could buy a, a, a resident deer tag and elk a non-resident deer tag and elk, and then I'd get a Montana deer tag and elk. And so every single year, I'd have three deer tags and three elk tags. And (laughs) so I really enjoyed hunting both sides of the line, Idaho and Montana. And it is sad to see what's happened. But like I said, like we're seeing a rebound and we're seeing outdoorsmen get together and we're beating these environmentalist groups at their own game. And 
yeah, very fortunate with where we live and the people that we work with. So it's awesome. So my two cents on beating the environmentalist groups, because it really is one side versus the other one, one far left side and one far right side. I wish we were in the middle. I wish we could talk things out, but it just seems to not work that way. Unfortunately. So if you are still here with us and you are on the, the other side of this issue, the thing I would challenge anybody out there to do is definitely support one of these nonprofit groups, right? But look at where the dollars and the funding and the spending go. Simply put with the majority of the hunting conservation groups, 90 cents on the dollar goes to boots on the ground conservation efforts. I don't care if it's Pheasant Forever, Ducks Unlimited, National Turkey Wildlife Federation, Elk Foundation, Muley Fanatics. It doesn't really matter. The Mule Deer Foundation, pick a foundation. We can talk about it. The Wild Sheep. If you look at the pay structure, if you follow the money, 10% is admin fee and 90% goes to conservation projects. You look at some of these others and I'm not going to list them, but I'm going to tell you to go look at their finances and their admin fees are 70, 80, 90%. And then 10% goes back to some sort of pretend conservation effort. Usually that's litigation lobbying to stop some sort of outdoor activity. So just if anything, quit donating to those groups that aren't perpetuating They're they're non-contributory quit giving them your dollar. Exactly. Exactly. And I know which ones you're talking about and I won't say it either. <laughs> it is what it is, but yeah, I agree with you hundred percent there. So what's it too quick? I guess we got to get through a couple questions. I'm going to rapid fire them off because we do them for everybody. Okay. I'll be faster. I'm sorry. I'm, I'm answering questions very slow. Okay. No, here we no. go. So one weapon, one, one species to hunt and your favorite meal and how to cook it. And then, okay. gosh, that's a long answer. Dang it. It's supposed to happen. Cook. Okay. If, Start with elk just because I've hunted them for so many years. And that's kind of what my dad got me into. But I will say that to kill a bull that excites me, like of size, I just, it's hard to find those anymore on general tags. Like, I feel like you kill enough big ones who are like, I killed a bull this year that was eight years old. And he was 320 if he didn't bust all his points. And I'm like, gosh. And when I kill him, I was like, oh, that's a good bull. And I'm happy with him. But I'm like, gosh, he's an eight-year-old bull. He wasn't going to get any bigger. So to me, what really excites me, muleys. Like, muleys have like slowly, I still love elk hunting. It's still part of me. But muleys have slowly transitioned me. Like, I'd say I really started getting into it back in 2011. And muley hunting maybe in a little earlier but like in my later teens thing is we had to like really hit an elevation to find them like they're not like when we go to wyoming they're at the they're at the valley floor where i'm at white tails at the valley floor you have to go hit an elevation to find muleys and so you actually have to even see the first muley doe you have to be three thousand feet above where i'm living and so and then you're in then beyond that you're in a good muleys at least before the wolves but anyways it's just something about the muleys that just and where they live that just gets to me and it's like hunting a sheep with antlers i guess you could say i love where they live anyways sorry that was supposed to be quick i can supposed to be quick i can concur i've answered this question several times for me it is archery elk but i've killed a couple of those big bulls and i'm done chasing inches i'll still shoot a 306 point all day long and that's a great bull but i'm quickly transitioning to be and not 
sagebrush muleys, high alpine, above timberline mule deer. I've been doing it with a rifle and I'm switching to archery. So is are you switching to archery or are you sticking with the rifle? It depends. So in a November rut, there's just it, with a general tag, it's actually pretty dang hard, even with just a rifle. And I did kill a nice buck. I'm going to get him aged. I have one, only one year. No, sorry. We do have two years of sheds to him. So I, I got his tooth sent to Matt's and Matt's. We'll get him aged as well. But I do want to do some archeries outside the state. There's a lot of good archery opportunities where it's like archery only in November. And I kind of want to try those. I just competing against people. With the, that's the problem is I'm competing against people with the rifle. So it's, ah, I just don't do that. I would, but we do have an early uh, September season and I would love, I would love to start killing some velvet bucks during the archery season. But sometimes I'll be chasing a muley in velvet and I start hearing oak bugles and I just get distracted. <laughs> I'm so like, oh, I better go after that bull. And I'm like, we'll go back after that muley later and then elk start to distract me. So that's usually what ends up happening in September. Tell a funny story. This year I was in a unit where archery elk was open and rifle mule deer was open. So I was packing both the lightweight six and the bow. And every time a bull would bugle, I'd... <laughs> throw the rifle somewhere and go chase a bull while we were glassing for mule deer. And I'd obviously mess it up solo and come back and glass for deer. And then when we switched from kind of the mule deer area to the elk area, the last two days, I found some really nice mule deer. I'm like, yeah, forget these elk. Let's go chase those mule deer. And so you have a good buck inside. That's kind of hard to pass up either. If you had to procure one source of protein and cook it, what are we eating it? And how are you cooking it? I'm a very simple man. I typically go with when I kill an animal, a deer, elk, and especially if it's like a, something, the muley that I killed recently that is not going to taste so great. I'll be honest, it's a little stinky and not let them age and everything, but I did cut the, I cut the steak separately, but then I make the rest in the hamburgers and smokies. Typically deer smokies, like the scraps go in the smokies, elk, it's hamburger. But smoky meat, I don't know if you guys know what it is. It's just kind of like a big hot dog. And... Man, I just fill up my freezer with those, and I just eat those on the go all the time. I feel like if I'm logging in the woods or hunting, I'm always throwing those in a campfire or in a microwave or just, it's a quick meal, just quick protein, get up and go. And so I'm not my myself, I'm not like the chef, but I'm just like, yeah, that's good enough. I'm not really much in the flavors for food. I just like to fill the belly and go and my wife is kind of weirded out about that. She says, you don't want me to put any spices on this? I'm like, no, just make it. I just got to fill my belly. Let's go. And so, Smokies. Okay, again, that was supposed to be a quick answer. Smokies. Smokies. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I'll help you out. And doll sheep's my pinnacle. And then antelope. Oh, okay. Antelope and Shoot. moose okay. are tied. Can I take it back? Can I take back what I said? <laughs> you can. Doll sheep is really good. <laughs> doll sheep is... <laughs> But that's very pretentious to say. So I'll tell you that wife killed a moose. I've been lived in Alaska. I got some moose a couple times. And moose is really tough to beat. But a, a properly cared for antelope is a close second behind the doll sheep. Okay. okay. Moose pre-rut. Yes. Yes. After the rut, it's, it's kind of like the opposite. Okay. <laughs> All right. So we, one thing we didn't get into is it sounds like there's a, a wolf class out there. If people want to know more, what is it? How do they get a hold of you? Where, where are your handles? And then the last question is what's in store for the future? And then a question that I have for you is, are you able to put that in the description stuff so people can find it? Yep. Uh, we're going to, we're going to link all this in the show notes. So 
Okay, good. And so I do, I have an online, actually an online wolf and a mule deer masterclass, but mostly I'll talk to you about is the wolf masterclass. And for people that can't attend the camp in person, I have an online class. It's just, it's very simple, www.wolfhuntingmasterclass.com. And, you know, on there, you can take it at your own time. And, you know, we were run, wanted to do in-person camp originally, but it was around COVID when it hit. And so we started doing it online and it's actually been really good. And it's helped a lot of people out and just cutting that learning curve. And it's priced somewhat high in the sense that some people might like, oh, why is it so high? But for a lot of people, it's well worth it. If you, like me, who had to spend four years of that learning curve, you and I were talking, David, about how much fuel and just setting traps out and stuff and all that. Like it, it takes so much time and money to hunt or trap wolves. And if you could just cut that learning curve, it's going to save you so much money in the long run. So I got the online class. So www.wolfhuntingmasterclass.com. Then we have an in-person camp in Southern Idaho where you can attend the camp. We have lodging, a place for you to stay. It's an awesome place. You got myself and a couple other guest speakers and we cover everything wolf from hunting to trapping them. And, and it's in person, one-on-one. We train you how to use calls and yeah, just a little bit of everything and put you in certain scenarios. We had a really fun, actually the biggest highlight, just like an archery shoot. We did kind of a close range. I was telling you how many wolves I've had up close. I created a bunch of scenarios in the woods where I set a bunch of wolf targets up where people had to take these quick rush shots and everybody just loved it. It was just like the pinnacle of the camp. And so I put everybody in those scenarios because the other thing is like the mistakes people make is this shot. I'll tell you how close wolves get to me. I can't tell you how many people, they call in wolves, they come in close and people panic. They're like, holy crap, I have this big monster wolf coming at me. And they start flinging lead before they even put the crosshairs on it because they're just, they get so scared. They don't keep their cool. And so I like to show people those scenarios and get them involved with that. But so yeah, so that it there, it's the Western Wolf Academy. You can get a hold of me, simply Instagram, but I'll put it in the handle. See, it's Katie. Should I look it up or will you just put it in the handle? We'll, I, I we'll just stick it in the show notes for sure. And okay, then, so there's a there's an email you can reach out from Katie Smalls and she kind of works with all that and gets you guys set up for the camp. So but yeah, it's fun. And we keep it small just so that we can customize the experience for you. So, yeah. All right, continue. So what what's <laughs> in the future? What's coming up? All right. So like I said, so I have to switch gears on wolves just because it's not a bad thing. We've been managing our wolves pretty well in this unit. So I'm going to start focusing on Montana a little bit more and start. I picked. I was talking to that fishing game officer the other day, just picking the brains of some of the rules that I may or may not know. I read the I, I read the rules, but I'm just like, I just want to make sure I'm not missing anything here. So he helped me out. And so I may start trapping. We need snow, though. We're pretty, it's pretty bad out there right now. And I think you guys are fighting the same thing. We have no snow on the ground. It's like really hard to pattern wolves right now, especially for all trappers. I So that guy I was telling you about that I consistently bring up, and now he's my neighbor, who him and I both were learning about wolves at the same time. He's trapped over 100 plus wolves this as of last fall but this year he hasn't trapped a single wolf and so it just shows you we've been managing him pretty well to where i'm like he's looking for wolves now i'm like hey this is a good thing that's not a problem and we know they're going to come back it's just what they always do but as of now i think i need to travel just a little bit outside 
of where I live. Just because between me and three other trappers, we've got them hammered hard. So we're going to do that more. And uh, But then, let's see. Okay. Besides wolf, I wanted, I'm going to hunt Alaska again. I love Alaska. So trying to work in a moose hunt. I think my back's healed from the last moose. So <laughs> you it, think, it, you it, think. Took, it took about 15 years, but I think I'm ready to go again. And if anybody but, out there listening wonders if he's just being a, a wimp, you're talking eight, eight plus 80 pound packs. So you're, and then the horns. So you're, you're eight, nine, 10 trips of moose on your backpack in sometimes knee-high swamp. It is it is grueling, nasty. I haven't done that quite yet, but I've told a lot of people my, my uh, soul is in Wyoming, but my heart's in Alaska. And so I have a resident access as well. I was up there this spring and this fall trying to get my brown bear. Kudos to you for getting yours. That is my bucket list. I will be chasing brown bear again this year. So I'm glad to so hear fine, that you'll dude. be out there doing the wolf thing. Yeah, yeah. And so I Thank you very much. Yeah. And, and I do want to hunt wolves more in Alaska too, as well. My brother-in-law and sister got some pretty good points picked out and they've been patterning them pretty well. So I definitely want to explore like kind of my goal with, again, and getting more of the wolf classes involved. I want to gain more knowledge in hunting other regions too. I, what's great is I am bringing some guest speakers that hunt wolves in a completely different territory. Very like the terrain is way different than ours. And so that brings a very a very unique experience for people to get two different perspectives from wolf hunters and trappers. Of course, like Patrick oh yeah. can can add into this, but I think what you'll find in in predator management in hunting wolves, there's going to be a core similarity. Seventy percent of what you do in your drainages in your home state are going to work in Alaska, in Maine, in maybe Colorado someday going over to Montana, but there's going to be like 30% different. I, I think it'd be like chasing large predatory fish species from body to water, body to water. They're still a predator. They're still going to do the same things, but sometimes there's going to be different minutia differences of different tackle or different things that don't, that really don't work in that situation because of either terrain or temperature or weather differences. Exactly. And you're right about that because my, my brother and my sister, they've trapped a lot of wolves out of there and they got a good number of wolves they've killed. Some hunting too, but talking to them and wolves have those same rendezvous points in Alaska. They have, they do the same, their patterns are all the same. The only things that are minorly different is, for example, the food source. So you got these caribou herds migrating through, the wolves are following those caribou herds. So again, it comes back to being a hunter. It's, I could say, okay, we'll use a dying elk call or an elk in distress. Don't go to Alaska and use an elk in a stress call. Like, why would you do that? You know what I mean? So I'm saying it's just you have to adapt to the animal. You have to think, okay, this is what a wolf is doing right now. Yeah. You nailed it on the head. That's part of thinking like the wolf, right? Getting getting your head in their space. And, and I, I think that works across the board, whether you're targeting waterfowl to the big charismatic ungulates to fish species, right? You got to get in their space and figure out what they're doing. Would that be right pre and post bond there, Patrick? Yeah, it's really the same concepts pretty much anywhere you go. Like I think about muskies or pike. Don't keep they're me stressed, muskies. Yeah, they're, they're predators, right? And so they have similar behaviors if you're in Nebraska or if you're in Tennessee or if you're in Ontario. Like you just have to figure out, like you said, like that extra 30% of what's a little bit different in this area. It's usually the forage species. To your point with wolves, same thing. What are they hunting? You want to imitate what they're hunting. You want to get them something that's going to 
cause a reaction because you want to use their instincts against them. And so if you already understand all of those instinctual things and then you can figure out what they're feeding on, you have a way better chance of being successful, just like with wolves. Yeah, exactly. Again, nailed it on the head. All right. I want to thank you for coming on. It's been wonderful. It's been educational. Hopefully we didn't offend too many people, but you know, I've said it before. My goal is to stick a wolf in a trap someday. And I don't want to see all the wolves removed from the landscape. I want to see them responsibly managed. And I want to have the opportunity for my grandkids to not only hear a wolf, but after they hear that wolf howl to get to go chase him down and experience what that is to be part of the ecosystem. Yeah, I just want to say a big thanks, Tom, for coming onto the podcast. I know it's a big time commitment and having family and balancing it all is, is a big deal. So thank you so much for your time. And I've learned a lot. I thought it, your story about getting three wolves in that short amount of time just blows my mind, man. So thank you for sharing. That's super cool. Oh, thanks, guys. Thank you for having me on. And I enjoy talking about it. I don't know if you can tell. I'm probably having just as much fun as you guys. I just, you start talking about it and I just start, I don't know, like I start remembering those scenarios and my heart starts racing again, like it just happened. And so, yeah, I try to not psych myself too, uh, but I have to keep calming myself down as we talk about wolf hunting because I'm, as you can tell, I get a little excited about this topic. So, yeah. (laughs) Well, everybody out there, sorry, this ran a little long. Just so you guys know, we're right at two hours and it feels like we started five minutes ago. So. Yeah. No, thanks, guys. Yeah, no, I I actually didn't even look at the time. Holy crap, it has been two hours, so, okay. (laughs) All right, hold on one second. I'm going to play the outro, and we're going to move on. So everybody listening out there, thanks for for joining in. It's been it's been great learning about this. Definitely go check out Tom's YouTube stuff. You can check out some wolf classes. They've got their in-person camp and their online resources. We'll have links. You guys can check those out if you want to know more. And don't forget, when you do get your ungulate, High Mountain Seasoning goes on it. We'll try and convert Tom to putting a little spice in his life. And then if you're going fishing, check out PK and don't forget about old bow spider. Thanks again for listening to the Radcast Outdoors podcast. We hope that you've enjoyed the show. If so, please go to Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Carbon TV, YouTube, or wherever you're listening to this podcast and subscribe, share, and give us a five-star rating, which helps other people find the show. You can find all of our shows, recipes, giveaways, videos, and much more at radcastoutdoors.com. Please don't forget to follow us on Facebook and Instagram. We also have a RagCast community on Facebook called RagCast Nation. We'd love for you to join in the conversation there. And of course, please help support our sponsors who make this show possible. Thanks again to PK Lures, Bow Spider, and High Mountain Seasonings. Until next time, get out there and enjoy the outdoors.